right, Outsiders, welcome in. Got another great show for you here today. Latest edition of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. We're recording here today, February 21st. You'll be listening to this as early as February 22nd. The next day, I got Corey and Dylan here with me tonight. On tap, we got our initial thoughts to the XFL. We didn't even make it one weekend without professional football post-Super Bowl. Very entertaining. We'll give our thoughts on Eric Bieniemy moving away from Kansas City finally, but not in the role we were all hoping for. And then we'll get into the meat of the show, the main event. To tag or not to tag, the window for teams to place different types of franchise tags has opened earlier today, 4 p.m. Eastern on the 21st. So we're waiting to see the fates of guys like Lamar Jackson, a couple of Giants, key offensive players, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, and a handful of others. But guys, let's get started. The XFL is here for its third iteration, this time owned by Dwayne Johnson. And I have to admit, part of me wishes it didn't exist because I'm eagerly awaiting Dwayne Johnson to return to the WWE but I just don't think it's going to happen. He's got a football league to oversee now. But it was a, an entertaining couple of games. Uh, I made it a point on the last episode that I would be a Las Vegas Vipers fan. And naturally, they d- decided to play a very on-brand style of football like the Colts. They have a lead going into halftime and then completely blow it away and choke the game. And it was like three straight plays. It was like a pick six by a defensive lineman a big fumble by the running back and then three and outs and things I've seen all too much the last couple of years, but I'm really excited for these types of leagues here with the XFL. We'll have the USFL later on in the spring, but it it's a good showcase for guys that either went undrafted or it's an opportunity to put their skills on film again. Whereas they might not get the chance buried on the practice squad and only being able to do that. This is live game action that they're getting. And it was cool to see some throwback names. Vic Beasley, a guy that led the NFL in sacks a couple years ago. He was one of my favorite players. Martavis Bryant, the former Steelers receiver. Geronimo Allison. And of course, we got to mention Ben DiNucci with a Patrick Mahomes style play to Josh Gordon. Yes, he's still around. But XFL, an exciting first week. What did you guys think? Yeah, Ryan. I I enjoyed the XFL for what it was. Um, and, you know, we had a little pre-show conversation about Marvel. No spoilers, but if you saw Ant-Man, my thoughts are basically the same. I went into it knowing what it was, and I enjoyed it for what it was. Is it the NFL? No. But there's moments where I go, oh, yeah, I remember AJ McCarron. Oh, yeah, I remember Josh Gordon. And it's a little nostalgic. I enjoyed it for what it was. It brought some funny moments as well. I believe it was the DC Defenders. They had the beer snake going. The security takes that away. And then all of a sudden, it's raining lemons in the end zone. The XFL just brings some interesting moments like that. Josh Gordon with the touchdown. Paxton Lynch benched yet again in another football league. I believe that's the fifth or sixth league he's been benched in. Full of some funny, exciting moments and if you love football, it'll be a good way to pass the time in the offseason. Yeah, you can't talk XFL this week without talking about the possible all-time greatest choke job that perfectly showcases the XFL's wacky rules that I have no doubt will be implemented in the in the NFL within the next 10 years. So let me just paint you a picture, all right? You got the Brahmas and the Battlehawks. 
15-3, Battlehawks are down. Three minutes left in the game. Battlehawks march down the field, score a touchdown, get the three-point conversion. Yeah, three points. Now, instead of an onside kick, all they have to do is convert a fourth and 15 from their own 25, and they get ball back. They do it. Go down, score another touchdown, win the game 18-15. The Brahmas never got the ball back. Just imagine that in the NFL. You're up 12 points, and that's a swing that, you know, that's not a guarantee. That's not a multi, that's a multi-score game, but you might never get a chance to get the ball back. The, the spread on that game was uh, Battlehawks um, minus three, so they pushed. But that's just insane. No kicking, no nothing, just three-point conversion and a completed fourth and 15 instead of an onside kick. Just insane how that game played out. Yeah, Corey, you mentioned it well that we could certainly see some of these different wacky rules make their way to the NFL, or at least versions of it. They might modify it, but the XFL this time is partnered as an official like development league for the NFL. So it could certainly be kind of the testing grounds where they can introduce some of these things. One thing that I loved, and I, uh, this could be the first change I see implemented in the NFL is on kickoffs. So the returning team that has their normal start spot. I forgot exactly what yard marker was, but the kickoff team, is only five yards away from them and the kicker's kind of way back on their own and that kickoff team not allowed to move until the returner catches the ball and starts making his return that's when i definitely think i know they eliminated wedge blocks years ago and touchbacks got moved from the 20 up to the 25 the, the kickoff is one aspect that they want to maintain but understand that's where player safety is priority number one yeah, Ryan, I think that's a great call out. I know Corey mentioned um, the three point conversion and the fourth and 15 to get the ball back, but I'd be shocked if that kickoff rule is not the first thing implemented into the NFL from the XFL. They are definitely looking to get more safety for those returners. You mentioned the rule changes previously, and I wouldn't be shocked if we saw that within the next two years in the NFL. Yep, let's jump back to the NFL now. The big news over the last couple of days, Chiefs offensive coordinator, now former offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, is he finally is somewhat getting his chance. He's he's becoming the assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. He'll have some good tools at his disposal there. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Antonio Gibson, if he sticks around, and Brian Robinson. And it's his show. I mean, Ron Rivera is a, a true head coach. He, he coaches the entire team. He has a defensive background. And, I mean, the enemy is kind of all hands on deck for the offense. Now, it's it's not an unprecedented situation. Bruce Arians went from offensive staff with Pittsburgh, same position in Indianapolis, before getting a head coaching job in Arizona. Um Shane Steichen himself was offensive coordinator with the Chargers, then two years in Philly before getting a head coaching job. The difference is those guys have not had the resume Eric Bieniemy has currently going, finally making this move. I mean, Bieniemy takes over, and I believe it was 2018. All he does is field uh, an MVP in his first year starting. Patrick Mahomes, 50 touchdowns and all those yards in his first year starting. The year after, all right, he doesn't get hired after that year. That makes sense. I wouldn't hire a coordinator after just one year either. Year two, they go and win the Super Bowl. And 
this is a little more 50 50. I'm like, okay, I don't remember what the head coaching cycles looked like back then. Um, but okay, whatever. Year three, then they're back in the Super Bowl. They have the best or one of the best offenses year over year. This is where I start to have a problem with what is going on here. And now each of these last two years, I mean, finally, it's clear he needs to prove something. Maybe team or, yeah, ownership. I don't want to. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to throw out the racism word here, um, but it seems other factors are at play here. I mean, whether he's not involved at all in the designs of the plays, the calling of the plays, he's at least been right there with Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes. You would think he could pull that ability to run an offense like that wherever he goes, but uh, I'll give you guys the floor here. What are your thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I want to avoid the, I guess, elephant in the room just for a second. There were reports over the last couple of years that Biennemi was a bad interview. Now, we don't know if that's true or not. We don't know what type of information is being put out there for us to to consume and base opinions off of. But there are reports that he was not good at explaining the future that he has for clubs, that that there was just something that he did in his interviews that just didn't lead to teams thinking he could be a leader. Then there's also the fact that he has a, uh, a bit of a legal issue history back in the nineties. I think he, uh, I think it was an abuse charge and it's just something that stuck with him. Now I feel bad for him. And I think this was a long time coming there was always the thought that Andy Reid really ran the offense while Biennemi just picked which plays to put out there. And now that's not a knock on Biennemi. That's just what some per, uh, perception is. I hope he ends up getting a head coaching job. He deserves it, especially if he takes this Washington team and does something with it. It's going to be a rough job, you know, going from Mahomes to whatever Washington throws out there, whether it's Heineke, Carr, draft pick, Carson Wentz, whoever. It's going to be tough. This was the best move for him. He goes to a well-respected head coach in Ron Rivera, somebody who teams aren't going to think is running the offense, but somebody that owners and GMs really highly uh, value what he says. So hopefully this works out. This might be a one-stop shop for him, maybe two years. He's going to get a head coaching job. But I want to hope, I want to believe that there is no ulterior motive behind it. I might be naive in thinking that, but I really hope that that's not the case, that there's other factors holding him back from a job other than how he showcases himself in these meetings because he has had meetings. I uh I appreciate the sentiment of you guys trying to uh hope that it's not the case and you know I can't say with 100% certainty that there's some underlying racism going on so I'll say 99%. Him and Brian Flores both coincidentally bad interviews and we take a look at how the league is going. Offensive coordinators are getting jobs left and right being picked from staffs that have had great singular seasons let alone potentially a dynasty in the making. Even from this Chiefs team, Matt Nagy got a head coaching job. 
Doug Peterson got a head coaching job. Those guys didn't have to prove themselves. You know, you look at Zach Taylor from the Rams. He was a Sean McVay guy. He gets a job. Hell, Cliff Kingsbury got promoted upwards for not being able to win games with Patrick Mahomes. Yet Eric Bieniemy has MVP level seasons with Mahomes, multiple Super Bowl trips, multiple Super Bowl wins, and still has to prove himself as a Washington Commanders offensive coordinator. To me, it's a little ridiculous. Well, scratch that. A lot of ridiculous. Now, from a football standpoint, I do think that this could be good for Washington. But again, the major question is, who's their quarterback going into next season? You can only succeed so much at a level with Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz. And I think we saw perhaps the ceiling of that this season with Washington. Can they bring in a Derek Carr? Do they make some monster move and shock the world and get an Aaron Rodgers, a Lamar Jackson? Maybe. Do they draft a guy, trade up in the draft somehow and get a CJ Stroud? Maybe. I hope Eric Bieniemy proves everybody wrong, has a great year. It's tough to say that because the My Eagles are in a division with them, but I think Eric Bieniemy deserved a head coaching job over a lot of guys. I personally think he was a more qualified candidate than Shane Steichen and certainly than Gannon. I think Bieniemy to the Cardinals would have been great for Kyler, but I can go on all day about how he was mistreated. I hope he succeeds in Washington. Yeah, I think we all share that sentiment. We want to see Eric Bieniemy succeed. And again, maybe we're being a little too, I don't know if the word optimistic is it, but there's certainly a problem in the NFL right now. I mean, I'm sitting here wondering why the hell did we sign Jeff Saturday as an interim coach and not any of these other qualified people? And we saw how that worked out. And for sure, I mean, Shane Steichen was not my first choice. I would have rather be enemy. My top two choices were D'Amico Ryans and, and Raheem Morris. So we don't, we're not, a, I wish we could be a fly on the wall for some of these interviews and, and understand what's truly going on behind those closed doors. But just to bring it back to a football perspective for Washington, I mean, this was a team that they came in last in their division, yes, but they were not eliminated in the playoff race until I believe it was week 17 with just a game or two to go. And they had, a near winning record. I mean, this is an NFC that is wide open and they did it with poor quarterback play. Now, I think the best quarterback on their roster right now is Sam Howell, who only started their week 18 game against Dallas and make no mistake about it. Dallas, their talented defense was out on the field for that game. They were trying to win that game and Dallas got smoked. I mean, Chase Young was not healthy this year. They'll have him back. Assuming they don't trade for any of these quarterbacks, I know Corey and I would love to see Derek Carr end up in Washington and just, you know, he would add so much just to the culture there, but he'll stabilize that QB position and they could certainly do that now without needing to trade and give up draft capital to get Derek Carr because he's a free agent. So for Washington, I think this is a good move. And I mean, certainly Bienemy could end up being the head coach of Washington after a year. If they don't succeed this year, Ron Rivera could certainly maybe find his way out of that head coaching job. And maybe that's part of the reason why BNME is officially titled as assistant head coach, that he would be able to just kind of slide right in uh, to that coveted spot. But let's move to a little more lighthearted topic to tag or not to tag. That is the question that teams are now faced with. 
They have three different versions of the franchise tag. The exclusive franchise tag, which when placed on a player essentially says you could sign this and play for us this year and we'll continue trying to work out a long-term deal or you could not sign it and set out the season. The non-exclusive tag, which allows that player to negotiate with other teams, sign an offer sheet, and the player's current team has kind of right of first refusal they can match that offer if not that player goes to that new team that new team then surrenders two first round picks to the player's previous team the final one the transition tag works in a similar sense but no draft compensation sent that team simply only has right of first refusal so the big one the first domino i thought when Derek carr was officially released by the raiders he could sign pretty quickly now i'm starting to think maybe teams are following the first domino to fall will be lamar jackson they want to see what happens there with lamar before Derek carr signs anywhere i know he had great meetings with both the saints and the jets but those are two teams that might be interested in acquiring lamar jackson they might want to see what happens there first before carr before aaron Rodgers, his domino might fall if he decides to continue playing so i'll kick it to you guys if you're the baltimore front office Lamar Jackson, what are you doing with him? Yeah, I have a pretty strong opinion on this matter. I think Baltimore completely fumbled the whole Lamar Jackson situation. Uh, I'm 100% team Lamar on this standpoint of him not playing. And them signing the non-exclusive tag, which lets another team basically just sign him and you get two first round picks would probably be the dumbest thing they could do because they could just straight up trade Lamar for better than two first round picks. There is a plethora of deals. Now, if you sign Lamar to the exclusive franchise tag for 45 million, what's really the point here? Just delaying the inevitable because you've already made it known that you're not going to pay this guy the 200 million. He's won you an MVP. You've been a consistent top of the division, top of the conference in the regular season team. Have you had the playoff success you had hoped for? Not necessarily, but you're in a very competitive division with Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, and I get it. If you want to be paid like the big guys, you got to win. But Lamar Jackson has certainly played to the standard to be paid at a high level, and this team has not done what they could to best get weapons around him. His best wide receiver during his tenure has been Hollywood Brown, who they traded away. I get it. You want to be a run first team, but this league is moving towards passing and moving towards offense, offense, offense. Lamar's done all he can with the weapons he has. And if you give him the 45 million, how does this work out for you? Best case scenario, I guess you win the Super Bowl and then you decide to pay him. But if he gets injured again near the end of the season, you're just going to relive this year. He's not going to play because there's no guaranteed money. They got to cut ties and trade Lamar Jackson. I don't, I think they should have just given him the extension, but if you don't want to, it's time to trade him and get some value for him. I've been beating this drum for the entirety of uh, the show. Lamar and the Ravens are going to get a deal done. It's just the, it's just the world's most dangerous game of chicken. It's really what it is. Who's going to blink first. Is Lamar going to decide to go for less money? Or are the Ravens just going to bow down and give him what he wants? I think the latter is going to happen. I think the Ravens ultimately sign him long-term. So I think tag, not tag, I I, I don't think it'll really mean anything at the end. I, I really think uh, for all that's right in the world of football, that Lamar stays a Raven because he brings 
so much in terms of jersey sales and marketability to that team. That's like a giant middle finger to the fans if you let them walk. But if they did have to do something, I think they franchise tag him. Maybe tag and trade if that's really what it is. Because like Dylan said, you can get more than two first-round picks for him. But I think you, you tag him and eventually you work out a trade. Whether he sits out and doesn't get paid anything, it's possible if nothing happens. But that hasn't really worked out for guys where they set out the season. Look at Le'Veon Bell. I know he's not a quarterback, but still. And honestly, Lamar's ability to throw the ball is vastly underrated. He's not a terrible passer. I mean, he was Jalen Hurts before Jalen Hurts. It's really what it was. I think the Ravens should pay him the money. And ultimately, like we're seeing with Mahomes now, if it's the right quarterback five years down the line, it's going to be a fair deal because Mahomes, after all these young guys get their big contracts, he's going to have like the seventh biggest cap hit. For the greatest quarterback of this generation, that's a pretty good deal for me. Yeah, Corey and Ryan, I do want to bounce something off you guys because you mentioned that you think that this could work out. I think that the relationship's done. I think the tie is severed. You've seen Lamar all over social media. And granted, I get it. Social media can be an instant reaction from time to time. But this organization has continuously disrespected Lamar Jackson. He won a unanimous MVP for them, and he still can't get paid. I I think the relationship's done. Do you guys actually think that there's a a feasible world where this works out? Yeah, I I don't. I I think at the end of the day, Lamar Jackson's going to be playing football somewhere else in 2023. But I think it's it's almost maybe too far gone that I mean, teams aren't going to want to pay up. Like you're, you're saying they could get more than two first round picks, but teams that turns into a game of chicken then for trading for Lamar. If he gets the exclusive franchise tag or signed to whatever a one or two year deal with the expectation that he gets traded, the trade value plummets. Because if you do something like that, then teams know that they're away a year away from getting him for nothing because the tag prices will be even higher next year for doing it a second time. And they're expected, yeah, he'll just hit the market. We don't have to give up anything. So I think the play Baltimore, their best play now is this relationship. I agree with you, Dylan, in this sense is that the relationship's broken. I mean, Lamar wasn't even with the team. He didn't travel to the team for their playoff game. That, I think, should tell you something. And, I mean, teams are going to want to capitalize. They want to get Lamar. They would love to get him now instead of waiting a year because that's another year in their systems and another year of his career that they would potentially have him for. And I mean, I think of one team that, you know, I mentioned when we were talking about Washington a second ago, this NFC is for the taking. And I, I have a dark horse team that I don't know if we've mentioned getting Lamar yet, but it's Detroit. They have two first round picks this year, which means they can make a move like that. Should Lamar get the non-exclusive franchise tag and not impact their draft capital next year. I mean, they could do with Jared Goff however they want, and I don't know what their cap situation is, but I'll leave it to them. That's their job to figure it out, not mine. But then all of a sudden, Baltimore likes that because now they have their own first-round pick and two extra first-round picks, and one of my favorite fits for the draft this year is Anthony Richardson in Baltimore. I mean, think of the potential there. They can, I think, truly unlock the offense how they want to do it and, and hopefully learn from their mistakes get Anthony Richardson or whoever the quarterback is a, a true team around him as opposed to what they have for Lamar. Because I think Baltimore, you're right, has let Lamar down 
and Lamar has held up his end for the most part. Now that's the other point is Lamar has ended this year and last year injured. I believe he missed the last five games or so of, of both of these last two seasons. So the health is a concern. Can you give us a full season here? So, I, I mean, it, it's not a position that I envy. I would not want to be in anyone's shoes here, but I think the best shot is for the two parties to move on. And for Baltimore, I think you need to get what you can get the two first round picks. That'll set you up nicely. That'll give you munition to go and grab your next franchise quarterback, hopefully. But Let's move on then to a couple of New York football giants. So, Corey, I definitely want to get your input here. Daniel Jones did not have his fifth-year option picked up. Saquon did, so their contracts are expiring at the same time. They're both free agents to be right now. I would anticipate one of these guys getting the tag. I know the report is Daniel Jones wants $45 million a year. He switched agencies. I just I don't know if you can commit to Daniel Jones long-term. Meanwhile, the argument is you don't pay running backs big money. Um, so Saquon, I mean, he's not your average running back either. He's a true generational talent playmaker. But how would you navigate this situation in New York? It's pretty simple. One, you don't tag Saquon. Saquon doesn't get a tag. Simple as that. You don't tag a running back. I don't care if it's you know, prime AP, running backs don't get tagged. Now with Saquon, the Giants aren't willing to go much past the $12.5 million they want to give him, which is good. He doesn't, he hasn't earned Christian McCaffrey money. I, I love Saquon, don't get me wrong. I love Saquon, but he doesn't, he hasn't earned the $16 million a year. He's had two healthy seasons in his whole career, his first rookie season, and now this past year. He's great. He should get a decent long-term deal and I'm fine paying him 13 million a year to keep him because if we spread it out lessens the cap hit fan favorite he's not making so much money that we can't operate around it which is great so Saquon you don't give him a tag at all you give him a long-term deal otherwise you let him walk and get a comp pick and it sucks but it's a business get a late round running back use the money elsewhere that a tag would really go towards. Now with Jones, on the other hand, he wants Dak money. Dak doesn't deserve Dak money. The Giants want to give Jones, Kirk Cousins money, you know, 35 million a year. I can see them going up to 37 a year, spread that over five years. Are we making the same mistake that uh, the Cowboys did with Dak? Probably. Do we have a smarter ownership in GM? Yeah, we do. So what we can do with that is make it so Jones doesn't have a $50 million cap hit in one of the seasons like the Cowboys do with Dak. We don't have to get into cap hell by locking Jones up. We have a lot of space. We have a lot of young guys. The Giants, I believe, had the youngest roster in the NFL. So we have time before we had to make a lot of decisions. Jones, you work on that long-term deal. But if he and if it's apparent that he wants more than 40 a year, you let him walk or you give him that non-exclusive tag, which is interesting because you don't normally see that come into play. Jones will have a lot of suitors out there, a lot of them. There's a lot of QB needy teams. Jones showed that he could win a playoff game, which you know can't be said for a lot of these quarterbacks out there. And he's been shown that he can actually win it too, not that he's carried 
or anything that he can win games on his own. And he's won a few of them. So I think you give him that non-exclusive tag. Let him make his own way. If somebody bites, you get two first-round picks because he's certainly not worth two first-round picks. And if you have to tag him for a year, you cripple yourself. But maybe you rescind the tag, you let him walk. It's a scummy thing to do, but you kind of have to at that point because in no way can the $32 million franchise tag be used on Jones. You take away your whole cap. The Giants have the third most cap space in the NFL, and if you tag Jones at the quarterback cap price, you barely have enough to sign your draft class. So say goodbye to Saquon, say goodbye to uh, pipe dreams of Odell, Sterling Shepard, everybody, Tremaine Edmonds. Say goodbye to any type of uh, building the team because if you have to give all that money to Jones, you're going to have a worse roster than you did the year before, which is pretty scary to me. But ultimately, I think Saquon walks and Jones gets a long-term deal. Yeah, I mean, I'll be short here because a lot of what I would uh, say is just kind of reiterating what Corey just said there. For Saquon, you don't tag him. You know, I think he's a great player, and I'd be willing to go a little bit more than Corey just because in terms of marketing, there's a lot more to do with Saquon in terms of earning revenue for the team. And he has shown when he is healthy, he is a top-tier talent in the NFL. And for Daniel Jones, if I'm the Giants – it's he's going to prove it. You got to take the training wheels off. I say you franchise tag him, give him a year. Dayball designed this offense to hide Jones weaknesses. But now you start talking $47 million a year. All right. You think you're worth that? Let's see you run the offense because there was a lot of good things that Dayball did to hide Jones's weaknesses. And granted Jones improved, with Dayball. I'm not talking like a hater here. The turnovers definitely got down. We saw some accuracy as a passer, but the offense was clearly limited to make things easier on Daniel Jones. But you want to make Patrick Mahomes-esque money and be paid like a top-tier quarterback, then you got to show that you can run an offense like one. So I would franchise tag him for the one year, have him prove it, and if he's not worth it, I have faith that Dayball can form this offense around another quarterback. Yeah, I think if you're in New York, I, I agree. You don't tag Saquon Barkley, but you do everything in your power to get a deal done. Even if it's three, four years, pay him a good amount of money. I mean, when he's healthy, he's one of the most dynamic playmakers. Like, I, I don't want to keep the running back term attached to him because he's so involved in the passing game. And the Giants don't have a great well of weapons. You know, there is no... You know, we talk about Christian McCaffrey with San Francisco now. There's no George Kittle. There's no Debo Samuel. There's no Brandon Ayuk. Saquon Barkley is the guy for the Giants right now. You don't just let those types of players walk, I don't think. And I, I don't know. We saw, yeah, Brian Dable can cover up the weaknesses of Daniel Jones. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Josh Allen regressed a little bit when Brian Dable leaves Buffalo. So I think, you know, you could plug in just about any quarterback, maybe not any quarterback, but any average quarterback and the giants can find a similar amount of success. So I would maybe go the route of the non-exclusive tag for Daniel Jones. Maybe you do get two first round picks from a quarterback needy team. There is plenty of them. Um, But I have a feeling I know where you guys are going. So you can give me your opinions quick here on Josh Jacobs from the Raiders. I think 
They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He has a career year, leads the league in rushing. I think at the end of the day here, the Raiders, they might tag him. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Josh Jacobs is going to be a Raider for life. I think at the end, I think he'll be a free agent come March. What do you guys think? I, I don't think you tag him. Um, I mean, you drafted Zamir White this past offseason with the expectation that Jacobs might leave. Did you prepare for him to have a career year? Probably not, but again, it's a running back. In the NFL, they're a dime a dozen, and they got to focus on their passing game and defense, and they got to have money to spend there. You can't be franchise tagging Josh Jacobs. Really, one sentence. Get that comp pick. Just let him go. Bring him back if you want him, but let somebody else sign him. Take that comp pick that you'll get for him. All right, what? Position does not grow on trees like running backs are franchise left tackles. So Kansas City Chiefs uh, blindside protector for Mahomes, Orlando Brown. They traded for him from Baltimore. He wanted to be a left tackle. He was right tackle for the Ravens. He's been a big piece in the Chiefs rebuilding their offensive line following the Super Bowl loss to Tampa Bay. That was on full display these last couple of years. Much better. Do you guys tag him just to give yourselves more time of getting a long-term deal done? Because I think this is part of the reason why they shipped out Tyreek Hill is to create a little more cap room here for a moment like this. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't expect Dylan to understand what it's like to have a subpar offensive line, you know, him being an Eagles fan and having just an incredible offensive line for the last decade. But the Giants went through, you know, hell and back to find Andrew Thomas as a left tackle. They went through the Nate Solder, the Eric Flowers, just utter incompetence. So when you find a guy that's good, like Orlando Brown, you lock him up. And if they haven't gotten a deal done yet, they will. Just franchise tag him. This is what the franchise tag is made for. A guy that you don't want to let go. He's going to get paid money. Just keep him around and get a deal done. But you give him the franchise tag because left tackles, don't grow on trees. They're incredibly difficult to find. And when you have the greatest quarterback in the league, you need to protect his blind side. Yeah, I completely agree with Corey here. Not every team can be the Philadelphia Eagles when it comes to drafting offensive linemen. The Chiefs have shown that they struggle to build their own internally. They had to bring in some guys from outside the team. He brought in Orlando Brown to keep him long-term and protect Patrick Mahomes. If you have to franchise tag him to keep him, do so but I think that there's a contract extension on the way for sure. All right, Corey, I want your opinion here. Evan Ingram signs a one-year deal in free agency with the Jacksonville Jaguars, plays a great role for them here. Ingram being a former Giants player, what do you think Jacksonville does with him at the tight end position? Jacksonville could give him a, you know, a nice little deal. He was very good for them. I don't have any ill will towards Evan Ingram. I really don't. I wish he worked out. He had a lot of potential. He's going to unlock it possibly with Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence. He's not worth a tag. You don't have a Kelsey or a Kittle or a Hawkinson or Andrews. You don't tag him. Let him walk. Try to negotiate something with him. But if he goes, it's really not that big a deal. So just let him walk. It's fine. Try to work something out if you really like him. But don't stress a tag over it. All right, and Dylan, Philadelphia has a lot of key guys as impending free agents. Is there one that jumps out to you, one name that you need to bring back for 2023 by placing a franchise tag on them? Yeah, I think um, there's a name that sticks out to me, sticks out to all of Philadelphia, and it's C.J. Gardner-Johnson. 
he has been priority number one for a lot of Philadelphia fans. I saw a poll that listed four different Eagles players. Uh, we can don't need to get into all the names because reality, it's irrelevant. CJ Gardner Johnson had 89% of the vote as the guy that needed to come back of four options. He was great for this team. We saw what he provided in the Super Bowl. Great open field tackler. Missed some time this year. But that guy has Philadelphia Eagle written all over him. And if they can't get a contract extension, use that franchise tag on him. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out. I expect some of these franchise tags to start coming down one way or another. Maybe a team says they won't franchise their player um, over the course of this next week. But that'll do it for today's show. Join us next week as we continue to cover all the craziness of the professional football world as we navigate the NFL offseason and the XFL regular season, the USFL down the line. Make sure you follow us on all of our social accounts. All right, Instagram, at Outsider Sports Network. On Twitter, at Outsider Sports 3. Search up Outsider Sports on TikTok and YouTube. And check out our website. We have new blog posts up every week. Right now, a bunch of football content over there. We'll get the other sports in the coming weeks. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Outsider Sports Football Podcast. Dies for the shit I stand by. So what kind of turn you on? Seven months from July, eat the pussy like a ride. When I met her, she was shy. Never started to keep dry. Never first in a cry. Where the penny has supply, ladies, Gucci's and Fendi's. But first we got a vibe. Girl, my hand kind of don't tell the seal or the slide. Keep it sim, tagging arrows through my heart. I can't lie. Must accuse it for I be the one who chased him to the side. Look alive. You can't do better. These times are hard. Just let me go. And don't you settle. Skies all black, downfall status indicated.